Welcome to Live Free Church. If you've been with us, we've been talking about money, sex, and power, and what the gospel has to say about that. So today I'm going to be talking about power, but if you missed the other ones, you can go check them out online. We'd love for you to do that. You know, these are really the beginnings of a new year kind of for Live Free. We want you to be aware of the fact that money, sex, and power all have a big influence on our lives, especially here in Kelowna. These are, I think, big issues for our culture, and they affect the way we can view faith and how we view God, how we view relationships and people. And so as we go into this new year, we want you to be aware of them. My wife and I, we always do these things called vision boards every year that build out a vision of what we want to be aware of, what we want to be working on. And I think these are actually a good place to start as a church, that we want to be aware of them. We want to be working on them with people and then actually building a deeper faith out of them. And so I'm talking about power. And when you think about power, what do you think about, right? Because I think it's such a broad subject. It's so ambiguous sometimes. Sometimes maybe you think about COVID, the power dynamics of the government and what they say you can do and can't do. And people want to influence you certain ways to believe this thing or to believe this point of view. I think of billionaires personally, how they have such influence on our culture and where we're going often, it feels like. There's a lot of power there. Maybe you think of a job, right? A manager. The news, the power to tell a story in a certain way. The government, which is positional power. Relationships, there's so many different dynamics of power. I think of my wife and how we interact with each other or a friendship and how we interact with one another. But I looked up a definition of what power is. This is just one of them. It says, ability, ability to act or do, strength, vigor or might, control, mastery, lordship, dominion, ability, a right to command or control, legal power, authority, authorization, right? There's such a span of what power looks like. I think we can be really unaware of the dynamics that power has in our life, right? How it affects us, but also how these same dynamics can affect those around us. And we become ignorant to these things. I myself can become ignorant to these things. I think of my wife and I's relationship, right? I think this is an easy one. If I say something to her when maybe I'm frustrated or she'll say something to me and she'll always say, you can't speak that over my identity or don't say those things to me because that's not that's not who I want to be or that's not true, right? Because I am ignorant to the fact of my words hold power over my wife in a way that can shape identity. And it's not just that relationship, it's other relationships. How we communicate during a sticky situation. That is a dynamic of power. How we use our position at work. Are we there to influence people in a way that lifts them up? and puts them onto our platform? Or are we there to stand on that platform and look down on them, to actually tear them down? Power actually shapes how people view us. I think there's three ways, I was thinking back this week, how we interact with different power dynamics. The first one, selfish power. It's power that's used to benefit the individual, often at the expense of others. The second one, passive power, or 
or passivity towards power. It's power that lays idle or it's ignored, never changing or concerning the individual. And then I think of the third one, which is purposeful power, which is actually power demonstrated by Christ that actually has purpose. It has a point. It's how you use power properly. It's power that reflects the loneliness of Christ, leading to the glory from God. Talking about selfish power, I think of our pop culture or our culture in general right now. I was talking with a friend about how, about like the Kardashians or people like this, right? It's, it's do whatever you have to do to maintain influence and to get what you need and to set yourself up. And this is a, like a way that selfish power is emphasized in our pop culture because we're fed that every day and we say, that's right, I need to succeed. I need to have control. I need to have this influence. I think when you think of a selfish power, most people think of a narcissistic person, right? We can probably all think of that person who loves control, who manipulates people to get it. But the truth is we're all that person. I'm that person. And it might not show itself all the time super prominently in life, but in my deepest insecurities, and that's where selfish power is rooted and it's insecurities that you need to actually gain control you need to gain influence. You want to have your ideas heard. You want to be respected. You want to have a place of status. Authority. Right? Like this deep sense of insecurity. You seek for control and power. We fight this with self-awareness. Right? But often we're not self-aware enough to see these things. The Bible speaks about many power-hungry people in this kind of way, right? And I just want to look at the disciples today. We're going to be in Mark 8, 31 to 33, and we're going to jump around a little bit. But we love talking about the disciples and how they walked with Jesus and how, man, they seem to get it wrong all the time, and we could probably do a better job. But I just want to reflect on this one sense of selfish power that Peter demonstrates in Mark 8, 31, 33. It says, Jesus began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. So we can see a couple things in this passage. The first thing is, how did Jesus use and demonstrate power, right? Like Jesus completely rejects his power to influence, to persuade, to teach. He could have called upon angels. But what does he say? He says he's going to give it up, submit to the powers on earth, and actually be killed but resurrected into new power. What you need to remember is that Jesus was gaining influence among the people, right? He fought for the marginalized. He brought about new teachings, claimed to be the son of God. He used his God-given power to heal people. It's not like people didn't like him. 
It's just the authorities of the earth didn't like him because he questioned their power and its validity. And they were reaching for more. This is where Peter comes in after he teaches about this. And Peter rebukes Jesus. Essentially, Peter, I'm sure, is thinking, Jesus, are you crazy? Are you crazy, Jesus? You have influence. You have power. You have the power of God. You're the son of man. You're saying you're going to die? Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever give up your power? Peter's saying, I will save you, Lord. I can use my power. I can use my influence. Jesus, just help me build your kingdom now. Just smite these people. Be done with them. Use your power now. There's such a contrast of Jesus saying, I'm going to use my power to submit to authority, to death on a cross, so I can actually bring about a new power. To Peter saying, I'm going to use my human power, my earthly understanding of power, to maintain you here, Jesus. I think we give Peter a hard time, right? Like if, oh, I think if I walked with Christ, I wouldn't think that. I wouldn't do that. I would know his plan. I would never rebuke Jesus. But then I think about my own life. I think about my struggles and my insecurities and my anxieties, maybe through depression and stress. When I need to be looking to Christ, what do I do? I reach for control because in my insecurities, I only know my understanding of power. And in my power, I can control the immediate situation around me. I think we give Peter a hard time. He was only doing what any human would do. He was only doing what you would probably do. What I do is look for influence and look for control in my insecurities. That's what selfish power is. You're responding out of a deep sense of insecurity, of losing control. This one would really hurt, though. What Jesus says next, I think it's kind of funny. And it's for us, too. After Peter's rebuking Jesus, he turns around. Jesus turns and looks at his disciples in verse 33. Looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking about, not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. The Son of Man, who says he's God and fully human, turns around and says to Peter, Go away, Satan. He calls him Satan. That would hurt, I think, as Peter. But he's not just saying that to Peter. He's saying that to our own selfish acts of looking for power and control, he's calling that Satan, right? When Peter rebuked Jesus, he was actively using his selfish power, actually getting in the way of the plans of God, right? When we use our own selfish power in our own lives, when we look for control, when we manipulate people because we're insecure about something, when we, when we want something, we desire it, we're actually stepping in the way of God's plans for our life and saying, I got it from here, God. I know where I'm going. I have the control. 
And God's saying, this is satanic. The way that we use our power actually prohibits the plans for God in our life, the greatness that he wants us to be stepping into his plans. It's nothing like the power that Jesus exampled when he gave up his power. I find it interesting that just a couple verses before, Jesus was asking his disciples, who did the people say I am? And they said, a good teacher or a healer. And then he says, who do you say I am? And it was Peter who said, you're the son of man. It was Peter who had this realization that he was God. Not only did he say this to Jesus two verses ago, we're now those two verses passed, and now Jesus is calling Peter Satan. And I think about my own life, how I've had these realizations of God's power, his provision, how I can submit to that authority, how I can give up of my power, how it's a sacrificial power, where serving others is actually important, not myself and my needs. And I'm like, I finally get it. I get who you are, God. I get your plans. And then two verses later in my life, just like Peter, I rebuke those plans and I rebuke God's plans and his power and say, this is what I need. This is my control. How often do we forget the plans of God? How often do we seek this power instead of sacrificing it like Jesus did? God didn't give us the ability to do, which is my working definition of power, the ability to do. He didn't give us that ability to gain control, to have a particular outcome, to get things from people, to build our own plans. We have that so we can reflect Christ, his sacrificial power of serving, thinking not of himself first, but people he came to serve. The next response to power is often passivity, right? Because it would be a shame if I'd have to make a change in my life. It'd be a shame if I have to think about how I influence others. It'd be a shame if I have to actively serve my church and serve people, think about the reality of my faith, consider why I suffer from anxiety or depression, consider why I'm so angry all the time, Passivity is easy, it conserves energy, and most important of all, it's safe, right? We all desire a safety, and that's kind of the core of a passive um, power, is that you want to maintain safety. You know what's interesting about passivity to power? is that it's one of the first actions in scripture that leads to sin, right? And we're gonna find that in Genesis 3, 6. But to recap a bit of what gets us to Genesis 3, 6, is that God has just displayed a great amount of power, that he's a great God, a creative God, who's made beautiful things. And then he creates Adam, and what does he give him? He gives him power, the ability 
to do things, the ability to actually join with God in creating different names for animals and to create beauty out of what God has created and to enjoy the garden. Like a chapter later, though, after Adam's experienced all this power in union with God, of having dominion over the earth, cultivating the land, a chapter later, what do we see? Genesis 3.6, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. I feel like women usually get a bad rap out of that one. You know, we always talk about how, oh, Eve ate the fruit first, and yes, she was tempted and she did sin. But what I want to look at is Adam, right? And we all become Adam sometimes because it continues in that verse. And after she ate of the fruit, what does she do? It says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Right? Adam has just experienced God's power firsthand, and he was brought into it to participate with God. And then, just like a chapter later, again, he's standing passively by while the serpent comes and tempts his wife. He stands passively by while I'm sure like a slow-mo movie, Eve is reaching for the apple or whatever fruit it was. And then again, he stands passively by as she eats it and then offers him some. And then again, he passively stands there and takes it and eats it. And he's actually then engaged with that sin at that point. God gave him the ability to do amazing things in that garden. To name those animals, to have control over them, to tend to everything. And he just stood there. He didn't say anything. He just participated in it because it was maybe easier just to go along with it. And I think a lot of our lives can be like Adam in a passive nature. Right? Passiveness doesn't just hurt yourself. It's going to hurt those around you. It's going to hurt your relationships. It's going to hurt the dynamics you have in a marriage or a friendship or a workplace. It allows us to be indifferent and maintain control over risk and reward. Now I want you to hear this. That a passivity nurtures mediocrity which hinders a believer from a depth of faith in a relationship with Christ. When we're passive in life, it actually creates a mediocre spirit in us, a mediocre, mediocre passive ability to things that we don't actually step into different things. I, when my marriage needs me to be there and I'm just passive about it, I'm not using any power that God's given me to shape my marriage, to build it. In my faith, I'm not going to care, right? If I'm just okay to coast and I don't need to actually think about how Jesus was sacrificial with his power and how I can be like that as well, but I'm actually just passive towards it. My faith is just mediocre. I'm not hot nor cold. I'm just lukewarm. 
You know, there's a challenge to step into God's plans. Even when they make you feel insecure, in danger, maybe live in the unknown, commit to a relationship, develop trust. Right? Because being passive is safe. That's like a core need of humanity. You need to feel safe. And that can be hard to step out of. That can be hard to step into what God has created us to do. I love that we are a church that we can't really afford to be passive, right? We're a small church in Kelowna. We can't afford to be passive with people. We can't afford to be passive with how we serve people, how we serve our kids or our wives or our husbands or relationships. We can't afford that. We're following God that has actually created us in his image. And in our power, we can be passionate like God is. We can be creative. We can make order and teams. We can use our power properly. We can build relationships. We can make beauty. And I think that's what God instilled into Adam when he brought him into the creation process and showed him everything and said, this is my power. Come and participate in it with me. There's no room for us to actually just settle for safety in our mediocrity of faith. We actually need to be stepping out. We need to find purpose in our power. So how do we look beyond the selfish power of control? The insecurity of needing to maintain control or a passive power of comfort that we need to feel safe. If we look back to Jesus and Peter's interaction in verse 34, it says, um, Jesus teaches them, and he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. There's a similar situation in Mark 9:35. The disciples were arguing about who is gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Jesus had just taught them about how he's gonna sacrifice his power. And he taught them again in this situation, how he's gonna give up his life and sacrifice his power. And they're arguing who's gonna be the greatest. And then in Mark 9:35, Jesus teaches them again. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. He took a child among them and taking him in, he said to them, whoever welcomes a little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus is teaching on how we are to use our power. Who will be first will be last and a servant of all. He will serve a child, which is back in those days, they loved their children, but they didn't have much use necessarily in the power of the kingdom, right? It's just a kid. Just disregard that. Jesus takes that child and says, no. If you were to welcome a child, you welcome me. If you were to serve someone who maybe you don't think needs to be served, you're welcoming my power. I just want to finish with one last verse in First Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians, twelve nine, and it says, "This is Paul talking. 
that, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. Paul's talking about a thorn in his flesh, a weakness. And it's actually in those weaknesses that Paul can find the power of Christ. He can find his grace and his comfort. When we're denying our desire for a selfish power and control, when we can step out of our passiveness towards people and faith and servantry, when we can step out of those things and actually view them in light of Christ's sacrificial power, his death and then resurrection, we can then live into the new power of the Spirit. Christ's resurrection brought the Spirit into our lives that all people can now know God and have a relationship with him. And servantry power is where that comes from. It's only when we can deny the praises of people or deny the safety of coasting that we're actually going to experience a power from God. And I just pray that we'll experience that this week. And as we go into this new year, that our minds will be on these different elements that we just are so focused on and that we've learned to serve people. And in our weaknesses, we'd find the strength and power of Christ and his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your power and that you've come and showed us how to serve people and that you made yourself small so that you could receive glory from God and that you could bring a new power into our lives, Lord. And I just pray that we reflect that every day, that we serve people with passion, that we just desire to see people thrive, not ourselves, not that we just coast, but we'd actually look to serve you with purpose and just acknowledge your sacrificial power in our lives and that we just be amazed at that element and just serve people out of that. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.